And welcome back to another episode of Foul Players Radio. My name is Michael Spedden, and this week we're going to do something a little bit different. Um, first of all, I'm going to give plugs to all the Foul Players shows and everything coming up in the course of the Chesapeake, so I'll do that right now and get it out of the way. On October the 5th, 12th, 26th, November 2nd and 9th, we'll be on the Western Maryland Scenic Railroad, uh, www.wmsr.com, or 1-800-TRAIN-50 for tickets. Um, if you're interested in some murder mysteries closer to the Baltimore area, we're going to have um, our, a show on the Black-Eyed Susan, www.blackeyedsusanhdg.com. That's going to be on October the 25th, and it's going to be at 7 o'clock. And www.blackeyedsusanhdg.com to get your tickets. Also, a brand new room for us. It's going to be at the uh, White or the Slate excuse me, the Slate Farm Brewery up in Whiteford is what I was meaning to say. Uh, the Slate Farm Brewery is a fairly new uh, local brewery. They've got excellent, excellent beers. Um, I've had the uh, opportunity to sample um, a, a good number of them, and they are excellent. We're going to be there on the 28th of October. That's a Monday night, but you know what? Come on out anyway. Uh, Monday night's not normally the night we all go out, and I know we've got Monday night football and everything, but Come check out a murder mystery that evening. It's nice and close to Halloween, and um, it's going to be kind of a spooky one. Uh, www.slatefarmbrewery.com. Uh, we're also going to be doing a fundraiser for the Chesapeake Feline Association. Uh, they're the ones that uh, neuter and uh, catch and neuter and give health care to stray cats that are in the area, feral cats. Uh, they clip their ears. They make sure they get the uh, health care that they need. And ChesapeakeFelineAssociation.org is where you would get your tickets. And the event is going to be October 27th, a Sunday night at the Van Diver Inn in Habitat Grace. Also, the chorus of the Chesapeake is always looking for a few good men to come on out and sing with them. Uh, folks, we have a really good time doing this. Uh, there's lots of great camaraderie. If you don't sing very well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. We'll show you. We'll show you. They'll work with you. Nobody will chase you out of the room. You don't have to be embarrassed. Come on out and sing and have a good time. There's lots of great benefits to singing and making you know, lots of great health benefits, lots of great mental health benefits, and it's always a good time. www.dundalk.org. The course of the Chesapeake meets every Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. at the corner of Wise Avenue and Merritt Boulevard in the North Point Government Center. Uh, Tuesday at 7.30, enter on the side of the building next to the basketball courts. We hope to see you then. Okay, so this episode, like I said, is going to be a little bit different where I'm going to be both the interviewer and the guest. I've had a number of guests this month come on and talk about their top 10 favorite horror movies. I thought that would be a great theme and a lot of fun to do with Halloween coming and everything. And, um... I think I was going to do mine. I was going to let everybody know what my top 10 plus plenty of honorable mentions are. Um, you know, when I was growing up, I always kind of liked scary things. Uh, little boys, when they're growing up, you know, I can remember back in the 70s, I used to like, uh, you know, scary movies on TV. Um, I used to have kind of a, more of a fascination with them. I was a big Kiss fan back in those days, too. Um, I thought, you know, Gene Simmons was really cool, really kind of scary with him spitting blood and blowing fire, and uh, I thought that was really wild, you know. Um, 
But I'm going to talk about my favorite ones here, and I'm sure I'm probably leaving a whole bunch of them out. I bet halfway through this list, I'm going to come up with ones that I wish I had mentioned. Uh, but starting at number 10, Silence of the Lambs. This was a great movie. Uh, I thought Jodie Foster and Anthony Hopkins just were both wonderful in this. And um, it, it was really, you know, not not really a, a horror movie in the classic sense. I would say it's almost more of a thriller or a suspense movie, too. It did have its gory parts and its scary parts and everything. And um, there was a really big mental element that was brought into it that I thought was really good. Um, you know, Anthony Hopkins, you know, using, you know, almost using her brain against her, getting into her head. And that, you know, despite all the warnings that her superiors gave her not to let him into your head, um, but he did, and he was able to use that as a weapon. Um, it was a, a very interesting movie in a lot of other ways. As a matter of fact, the fellow who played the bug expert in that movie, a fellow by the name of, his name was Paul Laser. And as a matter of fact, I got a chance to meet him. I did a uh, project with him last this past summer up in New York, which uh, you'll be seeing on Netflix in the not-too-distant future, I cannot reveal any more of that. I've got to keep that secret. Um, but he's a heck of a nice guy to work with and everything. Um, I did have a scene with him, and I'll say no more. Um, my next one on the list, this was from the mid-'70s. It was a movie called Trilogy of Terror, and it starred Karen Black. Uh, there were you know, two movies in the beginning which I barely remember, but the one that always stuck with me was the one with the African doll. It was given to her as a gift, and um, it was given to her as a gift, and it had a you know, gold chain around its waist, and it said, never, ever, ever, ever remove the gold chain, uh, because there was a curse on the doll. And uh, lo and behold, she goes in the shower, and she comes out, and there's no doll, and there's a little gold chain laying there. So there's this little doll, maybe about a foot tall, with these gigantic teeth, and a spear, and a knife coming at her chasing her around the house, and no matter what she did to try to get away from this thing, it always found a way to get out of it. Um, you know, she tried to drown it in the bathtub, and then all of a sudden you see it climbing out of the bathtub, just even more angry. She tried to stick it in a suitcase, and then all of a sudden you see the knife cutting a hole in the top of the suitcase for him to escape. And uh, there was really no way for her to get away from him except for burning him in the oven. And then you see him with his hair on fire running back and forth, you know, burning to death inside of this oven. All of a sudden, when she thinks he's gone, she opens up the oven and inhales his soul. And then she becomes possessed by the doll. It was a really, really funny... I, I, I really got a big kick out of that when I was a kid watching it. Um, it used to be on, I think, Channel 45 every so often. Uh, we would watch it on, I think, uh, Monster Chiller Theater, uh, which, which Captain Chesapeake... Or no, it was Ghost Host. I'm sorry, Ghost Host. Uh, that you know, Captain Chesapeake actually hosted, uh, but not as the character Captain Chesapeake. Halloween, the Michael Myers ones, okay? The first two I liked. Uh, Halloween 3, I thought it was a good movie too, but that should have been something separate. And I think I'd given that opinion. A number of the uh, other guests I've had talk about horror movies you know, kind of agreed with me on that one. Um, the first two Halloweens I thought were good. I really enjoyed Donald Pleasance. I really enjoyed... Jamie Lee Curtis in these. Um, again, you can only beat a dead horse for so many times. When you start getting into 27 uh, versions of the same movie, you know you really kind of run out of gas after a while. But 
Um, I'm not a big remakes guy. I've never been a real big fan of remaking movies. Um, you know, there's been a number of them that have come to mind that I just thought the remakes were terrible, and I'm not going to get into that. But I did like what Rob Zombie did with Halloween. I really did. Um, John Carpenter had done the original ones years and years ago, and um, I really did like how uh, Rob Zombie, you know, kind of stayed true to the. Uh, you know, the original story and everything did have a couple of differences that I thought worked very well. So uh, I would say both the old and new Halloweens, uh, but nothing past two. Number seven, number seven. I can remember this movie well. Um, I can remember being in middle school and um, the whole school got to vote on a movie that they wanted to watch. You know, we had a big assembly in the auditorium and they got everybody together, and the whole school got to vote for the movie they wanted to watch. And overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, out of the choices we had, we picked The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock. What a great movie. And I can remember, I'd even seen that before um, I had been, um, you know, even before this event at my middle school. Um, what, what a great movie. I mean, I just have lots, I just you know, can't say enough about this. Lots of things I really liked about it. You know, one thing I really liked about Hitchcock over the years is that, you know, there was a little bit of blood in his movies, but it just wasn't blood and guts. There was something really cerebral about this here. Um, in The Birds, you know, it was just really creepy the way you know, he had these birds just turn on people all the time. Uh, one scene that I have in mind uh, was where Tippy Hedren was sitting in the schoolyard and then um, you know, the monkey bars are behind her. And then all of a sudden, you know, a bird comes down and lands on the monkey bars. I think it was crows this time. Um, I think just about every kind of bird had turned on the people. I think this one was crows. And um, she's sitting there. All of a sudden you hear the wings flap down of one bird. The wings flap down of another bird. And then all of a sudden more and more and more and more are coming. And then she goes over and she has to warn the, stool, uh, the school children uh, with uh, Suzanne Plachette was the teacher. And uh, they go in and you know they get the kids and they get the kids to try to walk very, very, very quietly so they don't upset the birds. Then they get to a certain point and the kids start running and then the birds just go all out. And the birds are just you know, completely swarming over these kids, um, you know, pecking out their glasses, getting in their hair, you know, cutting these kids across the head. And um, it was just really, uh, you know, really, really wild how, you know, all of a sudden, all these birds are just attacking everybody. There was another great scene where I think it was seagulls. It was a scene where she was in a in a restaurant down near um, the water and um, ended up with a car catching on fire and a big explosion, you know, and you see, you know, the scene starting, you know, way up, you know, hundreds of feet in the air. One seagull comes in, then another one comes in, and they all kind of flock together and attack the town. Um the other part that I liked about it was, you know, they ran into a house to try to escape the birds. And they see the old man laying there with both of his eyes pecked out. Um, that was just something that was like a, real, a really shocking scene. And I like how Hitchcock just kind of like showed him and then paused and then just like zoomed in on him real quick. It wasn't like a gradual zoom. It was like, boom, it was right there. Um, what a great movie, an excellent job. Uh, Rod Taylor was really good in that. Tippy Hedren was really good in it. Um, a younger Jessica Tandy, a very, very pretty woman, uh, was also in that movie. Um, one of my favorites, number seven. 
Number six, you know, a lot of the same things I liked about uh, the birds. I also would say Psycho. Psycho with Anthony Perkins and Janet Leigh. Uh, of course, everybody knows and loves the shower scene. Um, the shower scene is probably one of the most, probably if not the most famous scenes in, in film history. Um, how they came in, you know, how he comes in, and um, you still really don't see who it is entirely. Uh, you have a good idea as to who it is when he starts stabbing. And then with all the, uh, you can see the blood going down the drain, the screaming and the shower curtains ripping. Um, a great scene. But my favorite part of that was when they went up to the house to try to get a hold of Mrs. Bates. They go down in the basement, they see what they think is an old lady in a rocking chair, and they turn her around and looks like old Mrs. Bates had been dead for quite a few years. So um, number six for me is Psycho. Number five, Reanimator. What a great movie there, too. Um Jeffrey Combs and David Gale played the evil, um, you know, his superior at the school where he was studying medicine. And um, both of them did just such a really good job. I've liked Jeffrey Combs in a lot of the movies that he's done, but Reanimator was one of my favorites. Um, a lot of it was kind of campy. A lot of it was, you know, had kind of like almost a silly undertone to it. But it was also a very creepy movie, some of the things they came up with in that Um you know, he came up with a formula to bring people back from the dead, and he was still trying to perfect the dose. And sometimes, you know, he went into a morgue and gave somebody a little too much or a little too little. Uh, when he gave them too much, the thing went completely nuts and ended up throwing them around the room. And then um, everybody that tried to uh, steal his formula, he ended up killing. And um, David Gale, you know, ended up being a, a head in a tray. And he could actually command his body, though, to carry him around in the tray and um, get that formula and keep him alive. Uh, so, well worth watching. It's it's a cable TV classic. It's you know one of my favorite movies from the '80s, Reanimator. Number four and number three, I'm going to kind of lump in together. Um, there's a filmmaker who is you know, not too far from this area. He's in the Philly, New Jersey area. And I don't believe he's doing movies as much anymore. He was, you know, kind of got into the world of commercials, and he's also, I believe, teaching film. A gentleman by the name of Lance Weiler. Uh, two movies of his that I really enjoyed. Uh, one of them was called The Last Broadcast. And another thing that I like about him is that, you know, the other movie that I wanted to talk about, too, was Head Trauma. You know, he is really good, you know, telling the story and is you know kind of a uses a lot of the same techniques as Hitchcock you know he's not really relying on the uh, gore not really relying on the shock value but it's the suspense that he's able to build it's the uh, being able you know it's the anticipating trying to figure out what's going on um, in the last broadcast uh, this was a found footage movie and believe it or not it actually predated the Blair Witch Project, uh, by you know, a little bit of time here. It was also a very revolutionary movie in the sense that he did it all on his computer. He did all he did the entire film on a computer, and this was done back in 1998, I believe, uh, the last broadcast. What it is is a couple of fellows have a kind of a lighthearted uh, paranormal show on cable access TV, and they want to go out to the woods um, and try to track down the Jersey Devil. Well, uh, they get out in the woods, and you, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of the movie is found footage. You know, you see this footage of them walking around in the woods and listening for noises, and you know, you see a lot of flashlights going here and there. 
And um, all of a sudden, they end up dead, and nobody really knows why. And um, now, in a lot of these other movies I've been talking about here, I did kind of give away the ending and things like that. But really, I think anybody who's into horror and who really likes suspenseful, a good suspenseful quality movie, I'd, I'm going to leave it up to you to go see it to figure out what the ending was. Because it was. I, I think this movie, for anybody who's really into any kind of movie, let alone horror, is one that's really worth seeing. So I'm not going to give away the ending. Uh, the same thing with head trauma. Uh, head trauma is about a guy who's kind of a drifter who comes back to the uh, Philadelphia area after his grandmother died uh, to try to um, you know, salvage her house, which is in disrepair, to try to sell it to make some money to live off of. And um, he's in the house, and squatters had come in and kind of trashed the place a bit, so he's trying to clean it up so he can at least sell it um, and make a little bit of money. However, he's being tormented in the middle of the night, and we're not exactly sure what is tormenting him. Um, is, it a, is it a ghost? Is it you know, a killer in the house? What is it? Um, again, I'm going to leave it to you to go see this one. It's called Head Trauma by Lance Weiler. I'm sure it's available on Amazon. I'm sure it can be streamed somewhere. Uh, but again, this is one of the things where... Um, you know, uh, Lance Weiler, at the end of his movies, always has a twist. And there's a great twist in this one. Um, you know, I believe most of the people were regional actors, but they all did a fairly good job. You know, the acting was good. The story was good. Um, I really enjoyed the movie again. Um, so my number three and number four, The Last Broadcast and Head Trauma. Number two, number two, I've got a bit of a story to go along with this one as well. 1987, I was 18 years old, and this was around the time when a lot of these shocking movies came out that were supposedly real-life death movies, Faces of Death. Uh, there were a number of other ones, and they always had these uh, claims on them when you went to buy the video or rent the video, banned in you know, several hundred countries. And I think a lot of times these numbers were actually more countries than we actually have on the planet Earth. Um, and they would say that these are you know, banned in this country. That was kind of the same kind of marketing ploy that the Evil Dead 2 had, uh, the Evil Dead 2. Um, so I get home from work on a Saturday night, and I go down to my room, and I turn on the radio, and I'm you know, just kind of hanging out listening to the radio, and then all of a sudden I hear this ad for Evil Dead 2. Um, I believe I went and saw it at the uh, York Ridge Cinemas that night. That was at the corner of York and Ridgely Road. And the ad kind of said, you know, nobody who has a heart condition is allowed. Nobody who is pregnant is allowed in. Uh, this is a completely shocking movie. Absolutely nobody under 18 is allowed in. It's been banned in this many countries and so on and so forth. And I said, all right, I got to go see this. I wasn't doing anything tonight, so I'm out of here and I'm going to go watch it. So I got up there in time. I got myself a ticket. And I have to say, within 10 minutes of the beginning of that movie, I was dying. I was laughing my head off. I had tears running down my face because of all the slapstick that went on there. Bruce Campbell, uh, Sam Raimi, uh, this was a great movie that they put together there. I really uh, kind of like the slapstick, uh, you know, the things where, uh, you know, I mean, if you look at it, you know, Bruce Campbell... Uh, the character Ash, you know, really gets beat up in this movie. Um, he ends up losing his hand uh, because his hand becomes possessed. Um, you know, the scene where everything in the room starts laughing, 
the scene where his hand becomes possessed and starts breaking dishes over his head. Um, I think enough people have seen it by now where I can give away these things. And um, so then he ends up, you know, rigging himself a chainsaw to go after all the creatures that are living down in the basement and um, anything else that comes along. And uh, they went out to the garage and they got everything together. And he had the uh, chainsaw on his uh, bad arm that, you know, on the arm that cut where the hand got cut off. And as he's putting things together, he finally ends it with, you know, the fam- most famous quote out of that whole movie, Groovy. One of my favorites, The Evil Dead 2. And I have to say my top f- favorite horror movie, and probably one of my favorite movies in general, was Jaws. Okay, again, not typical horror movie, um, but this was in the 70s. Um, I was about five years old when this movie initially came out, and I didn't see it for another couple of years after that because I probably wouldn't have. Um, I'd mentioned earlier that when I was a little boy and you know young kid, I was fascinated by things that were scary. I was fascinated by things that were scary or gross or disgusting or something like that. I was a I was all boy. Um, when I first saw this movie poster, you know, when I was a kid. Um, I believe it came out in 75. I was maybe just about six years old. I would go to the store with my mother and we would walk by the Strand Theater. And um, as we said growing up, it was up Dundalk. It was um, up at the corner of the shopping center, at the corner of Shipway. And um, you would walk by and I would see this ginormous, this gigantic shark about to eat this little tiny lady that was swimming in the ocean. And... um, I, at that point, was done with swimming in the ocean, okay? Having seen that poster, I was like, forget this, I'm not going out there. You know, um, know, my grandparents, when I was that age, used to take me camping at Assateague, and, you know, my grandfather used to like to take me swimming, and um, I got out there, and I was like, no way, there's a Jaws out there, and I'm not getting in the water. You can go in the water, but I'm not. And finally... um, you know, he showed me there were a couple of fishermen that were catching sand sharks, and he was saying, you know, the only sharks that are going to be in this kind of water here are little tiny sand sharks. You know, they're maybe a foot long. You know, they'll give you a hickey if they give you anything, and they're definitely not going to eat you. you know, nowadays, I'm seeing all kinds of things on the Internet, you know, on YouTube, where you have, you know, 10-foot-long hammerhead sharks and three feet of water. So I was kind of right, actually, <laughs> thinking of that. But, um, you know, just looking back at this movie, um, you know, looking at the beach scenes and everything, watching people go to the beach back then, it reminds me a lot of what it was like to go to the beach as a kid, you know, back in the 70s and those days. Um, the movie, I thought, was good. You know, I, I'd seen some documentaries on it, and you know, one thing when they were making the movie was that they really had a lot of difficulty making the shark run correctly. Um, you know, the shark continuously just did not work correctly. And, um, which ended up being good because you really didn't see the shark that much. You know, this was almost kind of an Alfred Hitchcock kind of thing where, um, you know, the suspense, the shark is out there, you know, the shark definitely sees the people a lot of times before they see it. And he's just out there plotting his next move, you know, and he, uh, Ends up, you see him kind of sneaking up on people or, you know, people are out there doing this, that, and the other thing. And all of a sudden, here comes the shark. Um, Very well done. Jaws 2, I thought was pretty good, too. Um, 
but Jaws, you know, is the one that I like the best. Um, again, and then this was another movie that ended up being kind of a uh, victim of sequels, I thought, um, because after a while, the you know the remakes and everything just kind of got you know the, the sequels and everything ended up just getting kind of uh, ridiculous. Um, okay, and some of my honorable mentions here. I know that you know I had a bunch of them here. Uh, the thing. I believe it came out in 1982. It had Kurt Russell and a number of other people in it. They were all working at an Antarctic, uh, at an Antarctic uh, facility. I believe it was a science lab or studying something or other. And um, everybody kind of becomes contaminated by the thing. Um, it was some sort of organism that could, uh, you know, get into your body through your blood or whatever and possess you, and it could. All of a sudden, it would rear its ugly head. It was almost like a parasite that would kind of just come out at the last minute. And um, one of my favorite lines from that movie was, uh, they just finished, um, you know, somebody turned into the thing, and they cut his head off, and they burned his body and everything. All of a sudden, they turn around, and they see the guy's head coming at him with spider legs sticking out of it. And somebody just go, looks at it and goes, you got to be effing kidding. Um, great movie, well done. I know it was a remake from uh, something that was done years and years ago, uh, but I would say one of my honorable mentions is The Thing. Of course, we've got to have Salem's Lot. Salem's Lot, um, especially the window scene, is the main thing I'm talking about. I, I'll tell you what, that, that made me stay away from the window when I was a kid when it came to sleeping, and uh, I always had to have my curtains drawn whenever I went to bed because I did not want that vampire to show up outside my window. Uh, Frankenstein, The Bride of Frankenstein. A lot of the old Universal movies I really love too. Um, the Wolfman, The Mummy, uh, all of them are just great. All of them are just great. Um, the Shining. And you know, there's a number of other Stephen King movies I like, but I really did enjoy The Shining. Uh, there were a lot of great scenes in that. And then at the end when... Um, Jack Nicholson shows up on that poster of New Year's Eve from 60-some years ago. Um, really, really uh, good stuff there. Um, Strangeland with Dee Snyder. I think Dee really did a nice job with this here. Um, again, I say you know, a lot of people did a good job with it, but I mean it. Um, I think this was his first film, and he did a good job of acting in it, and um, it was all about that piercing and tattoo culture. And... Um, he had Captain Howdy as the antagonist. Uh, Captain Howdy was one of the uh, characters and uh, songs that he had written back in the uh, Twisted Sister days. Uh, Strangeland is definitely worth checking out. And then also, Killer Clowns from Outer Space. That's going to be my last honorable mention. I really enjoyed that movie. I thought a lot of the stuff in it was funny, how this uh, you know spaceship comes down looking like a circus tent and all these crazy clowns are running around killing people and uh, all the um, everything that had to do with a circus could kill you back then they would catch people and they would put them in these you know cotton candy cocoons as they would say uh, they would you know there was popcorn that would end up turning into clowns that would kill you um, they'd grow into clowns um, I think somebody was killed by a clown doing shadow puppets. But my favorite part of that was when John Vernon, who played Dean Wormer in Animal House, uh, he played a cop who was kind of a sadistic, kind of a jerk cop. And um, one of the clowns, you know, he tried to arrest the clowns. Um, that you know, He thought they were just people and put them in the cell. And um, whenever he tried to handcuff them, the hands came off of the clown. Um, 
He tried to hit the clown in the back of the head, and then all of a sudden the clown's head turns around. Next thing you know, uh, he's sitting on that clown's lap. You know, the clown shoved its hand up his back, and he had him sitting there like a ventriloquist dummy. And uh, that was my favorite scene of that whole movie. So, uh, okay. well, thank you all for listening here. Um, I wanted to share, like I said, my favorite horror movies of all time. Hope you enjoyed it, and we will catch you next time. Thank you.